Hey gang, it's been forever since we talked about the 80s cruise. It's still on. It's set for March 6th through 12th, 2022 on the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas, sailing from Port Canaveral to Nassau, St. Thomas, and St. Martin. The bands. It's all about the bands. For 2022, The Human League, 38 Special, Berlin, Berlin to Carlisle, Morris Day and the Time, ABC, Dire Straits Legacy, Modern English, I'm Running Out of Breath, Jack Russell's Great White, John Caffrey and the Beaver Brown Band, A Flock of Seagulls, The Alarm, The Sugar Hill Gang, John Parr, and Johnny Hates Jazz. Also performing, I'm seriously running out of breath, these lists, they can't get any longer. Jesse's Girl, the ultimate 80s trivia band from New York City, and Strange Love, a Depeche Mode tribute band. And of course, the party band, Trial by Fire. Still not enough? How about the original MTV VJs, Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and Nina Blackwood, along with Sirius XM first wave DJ Larry the Duck. Oh, and also me and Brad will be there doing live podcasts and hosting all your trivia sessions. You can get $200 in cabin credit if you use the promo code STUCK. When booking, you must be a first-time guest on the cruise to use this promo code, and you must use it when you book. Come with us and have a great time. These are the cruises. These are the vacations that you never forget. Now on with the show. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. Uh-huh. And the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? What of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in LA. And today we tackle the hits from 1984 that climbed to number two on the charts but got no further before tumbling back down again. Buck up, little camper. We'll beat that slope together. Stuck in the 80s is now listener-supported via Patreon. Join us for VIP Zoom happy hours and more when you join at patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Ladies Nation, it's been a while since we did one of these, and uh, Brad and I actually had another show ready to go this week, and then we said, you know what? I kind of miss the old number two uh, Close But No Cigar series of shows that we were doing. Yes. They are a lot of fun. They're fun to put together. They're fun to pull the playlist together for. It's a quest. It's a quest for fun. It's funny. I was thinking about it. We don't usually talk about like the big, big hits. You know, we kind of assume everybody knows the big, big hits, but it's kind of fun to look at, you know, to do a little digging on these things. I'm going to have fun and you're going to have fun. I was looking through the list and I started, you know, doing the Googling and so many of these songs have really interesting stories behind them. So we'll, we'll, we'll tell you the stories. We'll tell you what songs kept them out of the number one spot. And of course, we give the obligatory hat tip to Chuck Coverley, who supplied the list of songs that we have been milking like a cow now for Poor cow. close to a year. <laughs> it's been longer. It's been a long time. I mean, is it? this is 84, right? So this is our... Let's see. Carry the one. It's, this is our eighth show in this series. Nice. I know. I love it. If you want to give Chuck some love, he has a Etsy shop where he sells um, bandanas and face masks and stuff. And a lot of them have an 80s focus. So go to Etsy.com slash shop slash the fox and possum. And Chuck will gladly help you cross the line. I don't even know what that means. Tell him Steve sent you and it'll only be a 15% surcharge tacked onto your order. Sound like fun? We're all going to have so much f***ing fun. 
fun. We'll need plastic surgery to remove our goddamn smiles. Anyway, uh, Brad's going to get things started. We're going to go song by song through the year 1984, which I still maintain is is my gold standard for years. Man, that was a good year. It was a good year. Uh, we were both in high school. We were both juniors. Yep. So anyway, this is the song that uh, Brad and his wife uh, danced to at their wedding. Uh, so take it away, Brad. Did, no, I don't believe that's true, but I am going to take it away. This song is the lead single from Cool and the Gang's November 1983 release. It's Joanna. saying november 1983 well you know it took a little while for it to make its way up the charts so don't give me too much crap on that any guesses on how many studio albums cool and the gang had had before this release or including this release even um i swear i'm not cheating 10 it's a big number 15 15 15 their first studio (laughs) albums like 1970 i'm like man these guys just no wonder they're touring all the time they want to play you know it's just that's in their it's in their DNA. This is kind of the love song, kind of kind of the love song from from In the Heart. I was not real familiar with this album. I listened to it the other day during my work day, and I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I mean, there's a couple other songs on there you recognize. The one that I always love every time I hear it is Tonight. Oh yeah, which peaked at number thirteen. It has one of the greatest lyrics of any song ever. <laughs> that's right. I refer to my sixteenth birthday. I was so shy. Not yet a man, but ready to try. I'm going to get you a t-shirt with that on there. <laughs> Not yet a man, <laughs> but ready to try. I'm ready to try. Put me in, coach. <laughs> oh, we'll put you in all right. Okay, this this is off the rails already. Cool and the Gang had one number one hit in the 1980s. This is not it. And one other number two hit in the decade. You want to take a guess at what either of those are? You know the number one hit. Uh, so it's got to be Celebration, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. And the number two hit is even more schmoopy than Joanna. No, I, I'm i flaming out. What was it? It's it's Cherish, which... Oh, God. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that one next year, though. So <laughs> we'll talk about this. Let's, you, you know where I like to go on these shows. Let's talk about the video. Do you remember the video for this? I don't. Yeah, I didn't either. But I, I watched it because research. We, love, we want you guys to get the benefit of our time here. Here's your basic setup where two members of the band pull up to a diner in the in a, you know and they hop out and well you know the rest of the band is already inside and they're serenading this poor woman who's trying to cook eggs and make food and run this diner because it's Joanna's diner of course right and then you know as the song proceeds and the you know the drummer's like pretending like he's playing on the coffee cups and stuff she kind of her head tilts back and she gets this far away look and you know what that means Steve. Flashback. Flashback. <laughs> she's young and she's a dancer at the Cotton Club. And what the hell happened that she's running a diner now? Like, that's your podcast time machine question for today is like, Joanna, what happened? <laughs> anyway, I, I watched that and then I just, I wanted pancakes really bad after I watched it. So maybe a patty melt would be good with some well done fries. Delicious, right? About that. I know. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, this song was in the top 40 for 16 weeks. But it held on to number two for one short week in February of 1984. And what held it out of the top spot, Steve? Probably not a food-related song. It was not. It is a, I would say, the 1980s top song about reptiles. Yes, it's Culture Club's Karma Chameleon. Culture Club, not really my Jimmy Jam, but that's okay. This song was number one for three weeks in February 1984. I think we talked a little bit about this in the 1983 show that they had a number one hit coming up. This is their first and only number one single, and it was the first track on their album Color by Numbers, which coincidentally peaked at number two in the album chart for six weeks, where it was blocked by none other than Michael Jackson's Thriller. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's sort of like the uh, buzzkill of the '80s. As far not a, not I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm just saying like no, it's like were, <laughs> yeah, it was you're doing well to get to number two in that when that's on the charts. It's like you're at the Olympics and you break the world record by ten seconds. Unfortunately, you were racing with a guy who beat the world record by twelve seconds. <laughs> exactly. We've seen. Cool in the game a couple times now on the 80s cruise. I think we saw them a couple times on the last 80s cruise alone. They were like the only band willing to play. I don't know if we told this story. So the last 80s cruise happened uh, in March, and there was a wicked, I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't really a storm, but there was some foul weather that was screwing up the Caribbean. At the same time, the whole COVID pandemic thing was happening. So there were some, some last-minute cancellations. But one of the good things that came out of it was that Cool uh, the Gang was booked at the last second. Yeah. The player and, to be named later. Right. And they were supposed to be on the cruise for the first three days and then get off at Puerto Rico and go on the rest of their tour. But the trouble mm. was the seas were so troublesome, if that's the word. <laughs> it took us – we, we got into Puerto Rico late. They missed their flight. And so they stayed on for the whole rest of the cruise. So we had like two full days of of Cool the Gang concerts. And it was glorious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was the best – I mean, I I know it's not everyone's thing, but they're so fun, and they right. just they're there to entertain you. They want you to have a good time, and that's what they're there to try and make happen. Yeah, and I mean the other thing, you know, people pulled out that were supposed to get on the boat in Puerto Rico, so they just filled the slot. Like, oh, can you guys play another set? Sure, no problem. I talked to them on the ship. They were everywhere. I yeah. mean, one of the great things about the cruise is those artists are just. They're wandering down the, the deck, same as you are. Stop and talk to them. I remember asking them, I think me and the future wife were talking to them. I guess they said they do about 250 shows a year. 250? That's crazy. I mean, yeah. that's that's the definition of working musician right there. Right. So it was, it was a great show. One person I'd love to see on the 80s cruise, I don't know if we ever will, is our next artist. In March of 84, this German band dazzled us with this song. Ninety-nine looped balloons from Nana, which is the name of the band, also the name of the singer. But I'll get into that in a second. There are two versions of it out. I think most people know this by now. I mean, this is not an uncommon song. Really? Uh, <laughs> I, as <much> as Brad, <laughs> if there's anything that Brad celebrated this week is that he didn't have to talk about 99 Luft balloons. Yeah, I could just sit on the sidelines and throw lawn darts at it. Yeah, I, I like this song. So, obviously, the English version is called 99 Red Balloons, but I'll get to that in a second. So, huge song for the band. It's their their biggest hit, obviously. Top the charts everywhere except for the U.S., which, number two, here's the story behind the song. Nana's guitarist, Carlo is his name, in June 1982 was at a concert by the Rolling Stones in West Berlin, back when there were two Berlins. Uh-huh. He noticed sometime during the concert that these balloons were being released. And as he saw them move towards the horizon, he saw them shifting and changing shapes. And it was at this point that he sort of imagined that they looked like a spacecraft. And hmm. You don't suppose Carlo was under the influence of any mind-altering substances while No, of course not. Concert. He did that in the 80s. The 80s I, were well, very, good, good. very um I was slightly concerned. Slightly yeah. concerned. So he he wondered what might happen if they floated across the Berlin Wall and what the reaction would be. Hmm. And so the song kind of revolves around that, you know, what would happen. There's also an alternate theory that the band said that they saw an article in the Las Vegas newspaper because, you know, why wouldn't a German <laughs> band course. be reading the Las Vegas newspaper? They're very well read. There was an article about five local high school students in the early 70s who were playing a prank by trying to simulate a UFO by launching – a bunch of mylar balloons attached uh, with ribbons to a traffic flare. That obviously screwed everything up. So. That's brilliant. I, yes. I don't do that, please, because no. the mylar balloons are bad. But that's pretty clever. Good so. on you, high school students. Anyway, 
song is a huge hit. There's all, I mean, we, you just Google it and you can read the whole story over and over again. <laughs> there was an English version that came out, but the band hated it because I guess the translation is not in the same spirit. Hmm, we interesting. Say, says the man who's maybe had one too many spirits tonight. Hmm. <laughs> so German and English, as you might imagine, don't really match up so well. <laughs> it doesn't always map. That's true. So anyway, Nana. By the way, the band's lead singer, her real name is Gabrielle Suzanne Kerner. She was given the nickname Nena, the Spanish word meaning little girl, during a family vacation in Spain. So you can sort of say the band's name is Nena, the singer's name is Nena, Nena is Nena. And we know what they close with. And we know what they close with. Here's what's interesting. Nena only had one other song to reach the uh, Billboard Hot 100 in their whole career up to date. I mean, I think they're still hmm. together. Can you name it, Brad? Uh, 97 Luft Balloons? No. It's called Just a Dream. It's also from 1984. Hmm. Okay. In all fairness, though, Brad, Brad, in Germany, they had 10 songs that were in the Hot 100 during their career. So they're not. Nice. They kind of are one hit wonder in America, but not so much in Germany. What kept out Nena and their fleet of Luft Balloons, you wonder? Has to be something good. Yeah. 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 This this familiar tune. Oh, Van Halen. Oh. Torture us no more, you scamps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've told the story about this song so many times, but we're not going to do it again. But it kept a lot of great uh, songs out of the top spot, as you, as you will hear as the show goes on. It was, as most people know, Eddie Van Halen had plunged into his synthesizer obsession at this point. The rumor has it that David Lee Roth wrote the lyrics about um, a television news report about a man who was threatening to commit suicide by jumping off a building. Dark. (laughs) There's also another theory that the words were written as an invitation to love, which actually sounds a little bit more like David Lee Roth. So. Yeah, I don't think David Lee Roth probably needed much of an invitation. I think he yeah. just was like, you betcha him. Yeah, he had a revolving door. It wasn't really a problem. What else is next on the list, Brad? Next on my list is Girls Just Want to Have Fun from Cindy Lauper. Talk a little bit already about lead singles from album. This isn't just a lead single from Cindy Lauper's album. It's like the lead single from her career. This is off her first sure. studio album. I mean, she had done some other band work before uh, she had the solo contract, but I mean, talk about launched out of a freaking cannon. First time out of the gate. So, as we talked about in episode 319 way back in September 2014, this is oh a my cover. God. That was six years ago? I know. Can you believe that? No. The infamous Ed and Springfield episode, written in 1979 by Robert Hazard. And if you want to hear more about that, go back and listen to 319. We'll wait. Okay, we're back. The album itself is pretty remarkable. It made Lopper the first female artist to have four consecutive top five hits from one album. And the album was in the top 200 for over a year. Wow. And the song, I you know, it's just, I, what can I tell you you don't already know about the song? So let's talk about the video. You remember the video, Steve? I think it's kind of all burned in the back of our brains. Yeah, we saw it so much. It was cost less than $35,000 to make because the cast was mainly volunteers, and they borrowed all the video gear they needed to make it from Lorne Michaels, if you can believe that. SNL Lorne Michaels. Captain Lou Albano played her dad, but her mother was played by her actual mother. Shot in Manhattan in the summer of 1983, and showed up on TV later that year, and I, you can picture it. I, I'm picturing it in my mind's eye right now. They're all dancing around the apartment. It was nominated for six MTV Video Music Awards and two Grammys, the song. 
end the video, obviously. The grand tradition of I'm just glad to be nominated. It won only one of these awards, the MTV Video Music Award for Best Female Video. Although Cindy Lauper did win the Best New Artist Grammy, I'm not sure if it was the kiss of death at that point, but it didn't really seem to affect her too much in the bad way. She's done really well, I think. I mean, I, I think so too. I mean, she, I mean, yeah, she's ventured out. I mean, when it's it's sort of like infamous stuck in '80s history that we interviewed her maybe about ten years ago. She was promoting a a blues album, I think. And <laughs> go back. I don't know what episode it is, and I'm not going to pause and look it up. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes if you really want. It was not one of our best interviews. She's a little snippy. She's very she's a snippy, snippy. Very snippy. And she's like that in concert, by the way, too. My co-host at the time managed to piss her off with some of his questions, which was on brand for him. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, she's snippy. She only wanted to talk about that album, which is not unusual. It's just It was a shame that that was right. the chance we had. Yeah. I saw her maybe three years after that interview mm-hmm. when She's So Unusual had hit an anniversary. Okay. And uh, she was playing in Orlando at the House of Blues. Which it was is, less than 50 yards from your house, so you were willing to go. No, it's 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 <laughs> 45 minutes away from my house. Thank you very much, you insensitive bastard. And the problem with it, though, is that there's no seats. You have to stand the whole time. At my age, that was... That was painful. And how'd, she, how'd she sound? I've never seen her. She sounded fantastic. She played the whole album start to finish, and then she yeah. did her hits. But, boy, she was not happy. She was she would launch into – and I, I mean this with all the love in the world because she is a complete treasure of the 80s, and I love her catalog. Absolutely adore it. And I would, I would sit at home in my couch and watch her do a live performance any day. But between songs, she would, she would kind of get a little preachy, and which is, again – I have no problem with. Yeah. But there's a there's a hard cutoff time at a lot of places these days for sure. shows shows gotta end at this time. Yeah. And I think she got chopped at least two or three songs. Oh because, wow. Because she spent so much time talking. Yeah. And so at that point you get kind of annoyed a little bit. And Yeah. You know I mean I'm, I'm not I'm, a big <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of the whole stay in your lane thing. Like it's fine. If you want to talk about stuff, then that's okay, it's fine. But, you know, but everyone gets to have opinions, but but don't yeah don't you know hit your spots too right anyway she's she's she is very opinionated and very strong willed and those are great qualities it's just unfortunate when they run into a concrete wall like hey you have to finish up by eleven because right. we're going to turn out the lights and unplug the speakers <laughs> yeah because yeah, that's when the alligators come in and clean up right so yeah. anyway I'm sorry I did go on that no little... no it's fine no I'm glad you did so anyway. I, I mean, all I will say is that she's nothing less than a true 80s icon. Absolutely exactly. back up everything you say. Right. She had eight top ten hits in the 1980s, two number ones. Do uh, you want to take a stab at what either of those were? Time after time and... Um, Check. That's uh, correct. It's not, it's not the Goonies song, which she nope. did play that night, by the way, because it's off that album. Um, it's out in 86. True Colors, right? Yeah, it's True Colors. Yep. Yeah. This one only made it to number two for two weeks in March of 1984. Wow. Held out of the top spot by, you ready, Steve? Hit the synths. Oh, Van Halen, you bastards. Uh, You know, I I don't think so. I think they're just lovable scamps. Lovable scamps. scamps. That's the name of our uh, tribute band for Van Halen. Is that why we're not booking any gigs? Yeah. It's well, that, and I'm playing drums, and I suck at that, so. <laughs> okay, let me take things forward a little bit by mere weeks, I should say. Also in late March of 84. This is a song I love for so many reasons. Brad, cue the music. I'm just an average man with an average life. I work from nine to five. Hey, hell, I pay the price. All I want is to be left alone in my average home. But why do I always feel like I'm in the twilight zone? And I always feel like somebody's watching me. And I have no props. Oh, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Tell me, is it just a dream? When I come home at night... 
I banged into a real tide. People call me on the phone I'm trying to avoid. Or can the people on TV see me? Or am I just paranoid? Yep, sounds like the Steve Spears story. (laughs) It's Rockwell. Somebody's watching me. Whenever I hear this song or see this song, I think of the pilot episode of Miami Vice. I think they play this in the strip club. <laughs> like in the first of 30 minutes. Somebody's of the watching movie. you. <laughs> yeah. I could be wrong. As I freak if it's a TV issue, I could I could definitely be wrong. I think most people know the story of Rockwell. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Rockwell's real name is Kennedy William Gordy. He's the son of uh, Motown founder Barry Gordy. His father named him Kennedy William after John F. Kennedy and William Smokey Robinson. To avoid the appearance of nepotism, he um, secured his record deal without his father's knowledge. And he came up with the name Rockwell because uh, he believed that he, quote unquote, rocked well. Oh, that that's painful. He had three albums in the 80s. This came off the debut album, Somebody's Watching Me. Only, okay. It's really only a successful one. It had one other hit on it. Can you name it, Brad? Um, no. No, yeah, I can't. A, I can't even come up with a dumb joke fast enough. It, it, oddly enough, it's a song called Obscene Phone Caller. How can I unwind rest receiving sick phone calls from a lonely pet This guy's got surveillance issues. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> but close, uh, close the blinds. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I think everybody knows by now that Michael Jackson did the backup vocals. Also on the uh, track was uh, Jermaine Jackson. Oh yeah. Just, yep. 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 So, <laughs> what held this banner moment out of the top spot in the eighties? Who said that, baby? How you be? Oh, Van Halen. Oh. Also. Oh, there's another one? There's a transition at this point. Van Halen gives up its uh, toehold at the top of the mountain for this classic by Kenny Loggins. Ah, Brad has a huge smile on his face now. I love Kenny, Kenny Loggins. Loggins. I really do. I've seen him twice. He's, he's, he's fantastic. Released in 1984 in January. It was one of two singles from... Footloose. The other one was other singles from that that he did. Oh, oh, um, that's uh, I'm free. Yeah, or let's go dance around the darkened flour mill. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, so Footloose is recognized on the list of uh, AFI's 100 Years 100 Songs, where it reached the position of number 96. I don't know if that's really great. Yeah. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song in the 1985 Academy Awards, losing to a song from The Woman in Red. Brad, oh no! Name it? Oh, no. You're kidding me. No. Oh. Kenny, Kenny, I know you listen. Call me. We will break into Stevie Wonder's place, and we will get that statue because that yeah. belongs to you. I just called to say I love you is... Oh, it's so bad. It is so bad. It just it cheapens Stevie Wonder to have recorded that song. Yes, it does. So anyway. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. It's That's not your fault. But you're not going to be able to... It's uh, not your fault. Yeah, I, everything's sort of my fault. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of grown to accept that, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brad. Take us away. Okay. From the darkness. We're going in a very different direction. Oh, actually, the darkness, we're going into the darkness, Steve. Cue the music. Messages keep getting clearer. Radio's on and I'm moving around my place. I check my look in the mirror. Wanna change my clothes, my hair, my face, and I ain't getting nowhere. I'm just living in a dark like this. There's something yep that's dancing in the dark by bruce springsteen 
Is Drew listening? Because I know Drew had some questions about Bruce Springsteen's chart performance, and I'd like to address those now. Uh, that question was ill-formed, and I stand on that. Uh, but this was the lead single from a little album you maybe remember, probably had four copies of, Born in the USA. Steve, it's time to put on our music major hats. This is written in B major with a tempo of 149 beats per minute in common time. Who writes this stuff in the Wikipedia articles? I copied it over just because it's like nobody who's looking this song up cares what key it's written in. A lot of the Wikipedia items on these songs did include that information. I, I just, I'm like, it's just mind-boggling. Who are it's these so, people? It, but, it, but it's so Brad-like that you would actually still repeat it. Well, I find it funny that it's included, but it's like nobody looking this up on Wikipedia cares what the tempo is. Right. Anyway, come on, Wikipedia. Go with the program. <laughs> That's why um, we won't donate more money to you. Yeah. No $5 for you this year, bastards. Bruce wrote this overnight after producer John Lando gave him the ever-popular producer line, I don't hear a single. According to Dave Marsh's book, Glory Days, Bruce was not impressed with Lando's approach, saying, look, I've written 70 songs. You want another one? You write it. But in spite of that, maybe because of that angst, he went back to his hotel room and wrote that hit song, Alone in My Principal. Oh, wait, no, that's a different movie. He wrote uh, this song, Dancing in the Dark. Which seems to sum up his state of mind. He was kind of isolated after the success of The River. But as we've talked about, he hadn't really experienced the commercial success yet. And so the frustration of trying to write a hit single. Let me ask you this, Brad. Did you ever read his autobiography that came out maybe, I don't know, three or four years ago? I have not. I know only about it through things you've told me about it. One of the things you learn in that autobiography, which is fantastic and it's a must read. Even if you don't like Springsteen, read it or do the uh, even better listen to the audio version which is what I did. Okay. He was in the red career-wise. He didn't make a dime until Born in the USA came out. He was basically losing money on every album and every tour until Ugh. this album. And that's tough because of the way that the business is set up, that basically means he was getting further and further into debt to the record company. How does that sound to you, mister? I think it sucks. One thing I found out, did you know they released a 12-inch single of this, like a remix, to get it into the clubs? <laughs> really? Yeah. They didn't, they didn't have this in clubs. It, You're out apparently of your it worked. No, apparently this kind of worked. The remix went, the blaster mix, as it was called, went to number seven on the Hot Dance Music Club Play chart, and it was the top-selling 12-inch single in the United States for 1984. <laughs> Check that shit out. But it still didn't like hit the top of the charts. I mean, I, well, you know, dance tunes never go all the way to the top, Steve. Uh, <laughs> we're about so, to find out that's not true. Uh, you're right. So let's talk about the video. It was directed by Brian De Palma, who proves that Hollywood is out of ideas by shooting a straight ahead concert video. I'm like, why did you hire De Palma to do this? Any schlub with a tripod could have shot this video. So angry. Uh, uh, it just doesn't make sense. Like, what do you have the Palma there? And just like, sh you know, okay, lock the camera down. Okay, play guitar. Okay, we're done here. It's infamous now, not so much at the time, for having future friend star Courtney Cox appear on stage after randomly being selected from the audience to dance with Bruce. You, okay, now stop. I got to stop you for a second. Courtney Cox in that video. What did you think at the time? I thought she's cute. Yeah. <laughs> what am I? I have a pulse. Come on. But when she was in Friends, did you still think she was cute? Um, she was cute. Her character was made her less cute. Okay. I'm I don't glad need we that discussed of, this finally. I don't, I don't need that kind of like how many different classes of towels do you keep in your apartment level of thinking. I mean, there's a limit. At that point, she had done a couple days on a soap opera and like a few local ads in New York. You know, that's good. That's good work. My score notwithstanding, it was nominated for two MTV Video Music Awards, and it won one of those, Best Stage Performance in a Video. Only in MTV would they had a cat category like that. Uh, yeah, the, some of the categories in the early days were like, what? But it's, well, you know, it's good. They're, it's, they're, they're making it up as they went, just like we do every week. It'd be like the, if the Academy Awards had, like, Best Three Stooges Homage in a feature-length movie. <laughs> 
I love it. I'll call the Academy tomorrow, see if we can get that in the program for next time around. But why are we talking about this right now, Steve? Because although it was in the top 40 for 15 weeks, it stalled at number two for four weeks in June and July. It takes two songs to hold down the boss, Spearsy. Um, can I guess? You sure can try. I mean, 84 is huge. So many big albums, so many iconic artists charted that year. Mm-hmm. And I, I can look ahead on the list, and I know that my next song is a Prince song. So I'm guessing something from Purple Rain kept it out. And that's, that's the only educated guess I can give. Okay. Well, let me give you – you want, do you want to know whether you're right or wrong, or do you want to just find out as we get there? Just do what you want to do, Brad. Okay. Just rock and roll, Brad. Okay, I'm going to rock and roll it. So the first song that kept it out of the top was not a Prince song. It was This Gem by Duran Duran. Yeah, that's The Reflex. Third single from Seven of the Ragged Tiger, released after Union of the Snake and New Moon on Monday. One of two number one tracks for Duran Duran in the 1980s. What was the other one, Steve? Uh, two number ones for Duran Duran. Yeah, The Reflex and you you know this. You know this. No, stop. Don't pressure me. Um, uh, uh, I'm going to say uh, Rio. Nope, I'm going to give you a big fat hint. It's from a movie. Oh, son of a bitch. you got to be kidding me. I wish I were. A, ki- a view to a kill? Yeah. Which, Ugh. it's, you know what? Send me all the hate mail, Duranis. It's a terrible song. It's awful. It's it's okay. It's not no, terrible. It the move, what, what taints it is the movie is so bad. Well, it doesn't help. Anyway, what did you think about the reflex? Enough about that. No, the reflex, the reflex is amazing. The reflex I think is, this probably, is a great song. Yeah. It's probably one of my top three favorite songs of the eighties. I can't believe this is the third single. This seems like let this baby out of the well, bag right off no, the No, 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 no. But if you go back and you listen if you go back and you listen to the original Seven and the Ragged Tiger mm-hmm. and you hear the album version of The Reflex, it's not as good. It's, it's not- only when the remix by Nile Rogers comes out that the that that song really takes off. But if you listen to the album version of it, it's it's pretty dull. That's fair. I I remember not being really moved by Seven and the Ragged Tiger. I mean, oh. anything I think is going to suffer after Rio. No, you're wrong. But that's okay. okay. I, I'm just telling you, it didn't do anything for me at the time. <laughs> no, okay, well then I'm just and you're a little soulless, but that's okay. That's okay, it's fine. I can take that. I still love you like a brother. Well, you know, that's what families are like. So It could also be the whiskey. Uh, you know, that's <laughs> fine, too. You lovable scamp, you Spearsy. The second track that kept Bruce down. Yeah, you got this one right, Steve. A little foreshadowing. It's When Doves Cry by Prince. Didn't love this when this came out, but it's grown on me over the years. And I, I yeah, this is one of those I don't understand the fuss songs. Like I just it doesn't do a thing for me. I didn't really like it then. I don't really think much more of it now. But that's okay. It was the lead single from Purple Rain. It was his first number one of four through the nineteen eighties, and it was written for a specific sequence of the movie that blended parental difficulties and a love affair. Yeah, it's the, the infamous uh, montage scene, of yeah. which there are several in Purple Rain. One of the worst acted movies of the 80s, and yet I will defend it till my dying breath. So, As you should. As you should. Yeah. <laughs> as I will this next song. As we finally get into the meat of the show of songs from 1984 that went to number two, but no further. Hmm. In November of that year... As we were probably seniors in high school, (laughs) 
obviously really actually close to the actual date we're at right now. Um, yeah, I'd been in California for a few months by now. Heady times. Yeah. I took a girl from my bowling league <laughs> to see this movie. I remember that much. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Wait, back up, back up. Bowling league. Tell us more about the bowling league, Steve. At this point, like my, my football career. You're trying career, not to be like a plumber or a, like a <laughs> pipe fitter or something? No, we, we at this point, my football career was over. Like my short-lived football career was over. Okay. And my friends at the time were in this bowling league for high schoolers. Okay. That um, was right next door, incidentally, to the roller skating rink that I had grown up going to. Uh. But we were we had a we were in the Saturday morning league, so we we'd hop into my friend's uh, muscle car and drive like the thirty minutes to the bowling alley. It was it was kind of a hike from where we lived, so that we could we could bowl each Saturday that school year. Our team name was the Gutter Dusters. Okay. I, I wanted to know what the team name was. Now I know. The Gutter Dusters. I can't Dusters. believe I remember yeah. this. But that summer when that movie came out, we were in that bowling league for a couple of years. And there was a girl from my bowling league that I thought was cute. And so we, I bumped into her in the mall. This is like the, the, the total 80s story. I love where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> I bumped into her at Countryside Mall. And she went to a different high school. Oh. And I said, well, you know, I kind of want to go see Purple Rain. Oh, I'd love to see Purple Rain. So we went and we saw it. And I was with two other friends who sat like two or three rows behind us. Oh, no. And they just enjoyed the idea of going to see Purple Rain while Steve and his impromptu date were snogging two rows in front of them. Well, <laughs> so, sure. Who wouldn't? To this date, they I think they're still a little bitter about the entire experience. Anyway, <laughs> we're talking about music and not bowling. The uh, song Purple Rain, <laughs> when I was doing the, the research for the show, I was shocked that it didn't get to number one. Uh, yeah. But it, it didn't. It was the title track from the album. The album was huge. The movie was huge. I mean, Purple Rain dominated 1984. And here comes this song. It's part power ballad, part rock, part R&B, part gospel. Oddly enough, this I didn't know until today. It was originally written to be a country song. Really? Yeah, and it was intended to be a collaboration with Stevie Nicks. Oh no, no, no! But according according to my um, very thorough and very professional <laughs> research, <laughs> Stevie Nicks got a ten minute instrumental uh, version of the song from Prince with a request to write the lyrics. But she said she felt overwhelmed. She said, huh. "Quote." I listened to it and I just got scared. I called him back and said, "No, I can't do it. I wish I could. It's too much for me." So, Prince goes to rehearsal with his band, The Revolution, and he asks them, "Hey, let's try to play this song." And according to Lisa Coleman of of Windy and Lisa fame, Prince changed the song after Windy started playing guitar chords to it. He huh. himself would write the lyrics, and he explained that the meaning of the song, which I've wondered about forever, I, I'm sure I knew it at some point, but, you know, time, <laughs> it is a bitch. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Even if it means Qu nothing right now. <laughs> Prince uh, explained the meaning uh, as, quote, when there's blood in the sky, red and blue equals purple. Purple rain pertains to the end of the world, and being with the one you love and letting your faith guide you through the purple rain. But uh Okay. I like it. I'm, I'm I, feeling this, good I mean, right how now. can you not like this song? I don't care what you think about Prince, what you think about the eighties. This is a timeless classic. Yeah. Well, here's what's even more interesting about it, and I think most people know this, because if you listen to it, you hear the crowd in the background. The song was recorded during a benefit concert at the First Avenue nightclub in Minneapolis. It was uh, a benefit for the Minnesota Dance Theater. So you get a song. The studio version is a concert performance. That's crazy. And it's still amazing. The band would later go on to say that it was um, the sweatiest and most soulful hometown concert yet. Certainly one of the best concerts we ever did. I never meant to call. I don't want to one time see you laughing. 
song. What could what possibly? <laughs> what could possibly chart block this baby? This is. I feel like this show's lasted for three hours now. Is it just me, or is it's, it just? Nah, we're having a good time with it. We're, okay, we're exploring saying, lots of nooks and crannies. <laughs> if someone, if someone at home is like feeling a little worn out and they need to take a nap, this would be a good time to do it. I think we only have thirty more songs to go, so it'll, it'll be fine. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna pull it together. I think I've covered the most important stuff. Kept out by this masterpiece of music by Wham. Wake me up before you go, go. I bet you love this song, Brad. You know what? This is where they lost me. This is where they lost me. <laughs> I always think of this as being one of their first songs, but I know it's not. I I love their first album, but this is like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm out. Good luck, guys. Can we talk about the Choose Life shirts for like 10 seconds? Let's do that, yeah. They're not anti-abortion. The Choose Life shirts more accurately were a message from the band about, that was um, in a time when AIDS awareness was starting to pop up. and Okay. And... They were trying to attract attention to that. So the image, the the meaning has been usurped by the um, pro-life crowd, but they're not pro-life in message. I, I mean, I think that that, that you know, pro-choice versus pro-life is such an American political construct that right. it would be surprising to me if that was, in fact, their intent. Right. I always assumed that was the case, but I confirmed it today. So let it be written on the stones of history. So we only have one song left. We're going to team up on this one. Because Steve's obviously fading. If Ultraman's light stops blinking, he may never rise again. Oh, dear. Uh, in December. <laughs> in December of 1984, Duran Duran, our friends, put out a live album called Arena. Did you, did you have that album, Brad? I did not, no. No. I had set Duran Duran aside when I moved to California, and I did not rejoin them until years later at that wow. point. Wow. That's sad. Yeah. Well, I, I Boingo Boingo the filled the hole in my life. So This is about the time I kind of gave up on them, too. Arena was from the Seven and the Ragged Tiger tour. It only had one original song on it, and it was this one. <laughs> we all remember it. Wild Boys. <laughs> the, the Wild Boys. Brad and Steve. The, the notes actually say Wild Boys, Brad and Steve. Yeah, which tells you how uh, thoughtful and careful those are written. Yeah. My sister and I, when we hear this song, we always change the word slightly to what do you say? Weird Boys. Weird Boys. Weird Boys. Isn't the, this one where they're like flipping desks over and stuff? Yeah. The video. I'm always about the video for these shows. Yeah, well, this one actually has a pretty good story behind it. The The idea for the song came from their video director, Russell Mulcahy, who wanted to make a feature-length film based on the novel by um, William Burroughs, uh, The Wild Boys, A Book of the Dead. Hmm. I've not read that. How is it? His idea was that the band would create a, a modern soundtrack for the film in the same way that Queen did for Highlander. Oh. So Simon LeBon wrote some lyrics down, and they created a video. And I think most people know by now there's a a bit of an urban legend that Simon LeBon almost drowned to death during the making of the video. Okay. Depending on who you ask, it's it's exaggerated or very real. Uh, Simon LeBon has said it's an urban myth. He said he was never really in danger. That he was he was tied to the windmill that kept dipping into the water. Remember? Mm-hmm. And, I do remember um, that. He said, you know, no, 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 I was never in danger. Arlene Phillips, who choreographed the video, said, that's not true. She said the windmill stopped when he was underwater. He couldn't breathe, and they had to send in rescue divers to, to uh, loosen him up and free him. So huh? either way, it all worked out. <laughs> he's, still, he's, still, he's still alive and kicking. Two songs kept this out of the number one spot. The first one is Out of Touch by Hall & Oates from their 12th album, uh, Big Bang Boom. And the second song 
is from uh, Madonna, Like a Virgin. Sorry, audio not available. Oh, too bad. Uh, we want to hear that song. Oh, well. Next time. <laughs> you know what we'll hear instead? The, the Seggies. Ah, the mystical refrain of I want my mystery TV theme song. Why is every refrain mystical? I, I Can don't I just know. not think of you could you could you could use any descriptor you like there. You know, we get we get some parsnickety emails from time to time from fans who question our, our use of words. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying anybody <laughs> name out loud. But why why has nobody ever name checked me or, or called me on the whole why is everything mystical? We've only been doing this for 577 episodes. Maybe it is mystical. Does it bother anybody? Or everyone just kind of like, oh, Steve, poor guy. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so here we go. We'll play a snippet of a theme song from the 80s. If you get it right, you're into a drawing for a postal-friendly bottle opener. Now, people have been emailing me about that saying they, they love to use that phrase and say, did I say it right, Steve? I don't know. You just wrote it to me in an email. But <laughs> <laughs> Send me a recording. <laughs> Use the yeah. voice memo feature on your phone. We used to have a, a, a number you could call and leave a message, and then we would play it like on the show. like a Google hotline. Yeah, I wonder yeah, if Google that's hotline. still around. <laughs> I should probably check it. <laughs> oh, you're only being charged $300. We'll call it live on the air next podcast. Okay, that'll be fun. Anyway, from a few episodes ago, here was that mystery TV theme song. That's a theme song to O'Hara. Yeah, O'Hara, you say? What 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 the heck is that? Do you remember this show at all, Steve? Is it about the airport? No, it's not, surprisingly. Uh, I purposely went really deep on this one because we got so many answers the last time. I'm like, let's let's challenge these people a little bit. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna foreshadow this a little bit. Maybe he has not been listening to the podcast, but Chris Cooling did not get this one. Really? Really. So this series for the the people who don't remember it, which is almost all of you, it focused on an unconventional Los Angeles-based Japanese-American police lieutenant named O'Hara, played by Pat Morita, who uses spirituality such as meditation in his home shrine to solve crimes without the use of a gun or a partner. I think it's funny that they point out, oh, he was a cop, but he didn't use a gun. I'm sure there was a different time, Brad. I guess so. Although he would use martial arts if necessary, you know, like if some kids in skeleton costumes are beating up some poor hapless shower uh, apparently he also often talked in the form of epigrams the show basically uh, looks like it lasted a couple seasons it really was searching for an audience that kept changing it around so later on he had a partner and then he had a gun and then he became a pi and it just it sounds so cringy like okay we've we've got pat marita so we've got to make some got to get some asian touches in there oh have him talk in epigrams Come on. <laughs> I like this. I kind of want to see it now. I'll see what I can find. I'll see if I can track you down some clips. But it just sounds so cringy. I can't believe it made it two seasons. Did anybody get it right? We did have two winners, Steve. Two winners. The winners include Brian Pond and Win in LA. And here's the problem. Both of these people have won bottle openers. Ah. Oh. Well, Hey, guys, Brian and Wynn, send me your postal address. I'll send you some Pop Rocks. How's that? Ooh. And, th- and then if you want to, you can like suggest theme songs that we'll use in future shows. How's I that? like that. I love that. That's less work for me. I wish I had some Pop Rocks right now. I have Downstairs, I have like two big crates of Pop Rocks <laughs> that, that uh, I, I use for- um, Why, Santa? Why? Sw- for swag for the cruise and, and to give our patrons. So, so. top your breakfast cereals. Spoiler alert. That would be fun, I guess, until, I like the, until the ulcers started. So. Yeah. Can't eat sugary stuff anymore. Anyway, pay attention. Here's this week's Mystery TV theme song. If you know it, email us at podcast at com, And tune in if you'd like some Pop Rocks. 
We'll be right back after this commercial break. Are you hungry? Hungry as a gremlin? Here's gremlin cereal. Gremlins, gremlins, bite after bite. What a tasty way to satisfy a gremlin appetite. Gremlins is a deliciously sweet, crunchy cereal that satisfies the hungry little gremlin. That's in all of us. Gremlins, gremlins, bite after bite. What a tasty way to satisfy a gremlin appetite. Gremlin cereal is part of this complete breakfast. Gremlin, yum, yum. And we're back, and we have just a few minutes left. And I, it's been a rough week for 80s fans. We lost two of um, the biggest icons from our decade, Sean Connery and Alex Trebek. And... Uh, yeah. Neither one was a complete surprise. And yet. <laughs> we, we had just done the Eddie Van Halen uh, memorial a couple weeks ago and Brad and I talked about it and we're like I, I, maybe we've hit that that horrible time where we're just this is going to happen more and more often what are you prepared to do I think what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to do a show towards the end of the year where we'll kind of talk about those we lost in 2020 and we'll we'll touch on Sean and Alex then um, in the meantime, Brad, didn't we we did a great show called New Starts and Comebacks in the 80s. What episode was that? That's episode 491. We talked a lot about Sean Connery in that show. I think we covered a lot of things we would cover if we did a a solo memorial show to him now. The the funny thing about not not funny at all. I don't know why I I, I get lazy when I sometimes choose my words. Saturday night I was at a family dinner. Uh, back in my hometown of Clearwater, Florida. And there was an episode, I don't know if it was repeat or what, of Jeopardy that was on. Okay. And it was kind of in the background between our, our dinner and the football games and everything. I, I, we only really started paying attention at Final Jeopardy. And the category was, you know, classic American novels. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> there's only really a couple of them I, c- I can really name check very well. And damned if it wasn't one of the ones that I've read ten times, and and the answer turned out to be it was it was a something about this 1926 novel was set partly in Spain, <laughs> and so I just blurted out "Sun Also Rises," and everyone's just like you know Steve's full of crap. shut up He's, Steve yeah you know shut up you haven't had damn enough drinks to be right <laughs> damn oh, I, nah, there's no drinking at family dinners in, in my family but damn if I wasn't right. <laughs> And I was so happy, and I'd forgotten how much fun it was to to play along to Jeopardy. Yeah. And I know we all spent like five or ten minutes after that talking about, boy, you know, what was the last time we heard about his condition? How's he doing? And I'm like, and and the very next day, the very next day, we get the news that he had passed on. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. So this was before we found out. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw it, and I'm gonna be—I'll be the jerk in the room. When I saw that Alex Trebek died on the heels of Sean Connery dying, I could not help but think about the SNL uh, Jeopardy skits with the two of them. Yeah. You know, people playing the two of them. I just—they're so funny. Is that what the mustache is for, Trebek? Oh, they're so funny. Yeah, he—he he appears on one of them. Trebek does. Oh yeah, playing himself. He comes out from behind the. Oh, that's the great! Set. It's fantastic. It has him. It's got Will Ferrell, and then it's got the guy playing Connery. It's, it's fantastic. Our final contestant on Celebrity Rock and Roll Jeopardy, Sean Connery. We meet again, you logger-headed, tickle-brained pumpkin. I cut an album of filthy limericks just so I'd be eligible. There once was a man named Trebek. Who had the world's tiniest... Enough! We will give them their due at the end of this year. Gosh, I hope we don't have to add any other names to the list. Yeah, may it um, be a short show. Yeah. In the meantime, go back and listen to these songs from 1984. Man, we were so lucky that year. So many amazing tunes. So many, so many memories associated with all of these songs. Yeah. And, you know, feel free to go past, like, just number ones and number twos. There's, it's an amazing year. I doubt if you looked at the Hot 100 for the whole year, I doubt there's a song in there that you don't remember or don't have a story about. But if you need stories, we'll be here because Brad and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. 
in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening.